0: Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.
1: I'm the founder of WDS. We have a great team, but all of us are are the first to recognize that, you know, what makes it a great community is at least 50% Composed of the community. It's like the people that come, they are bringing something that creates whatever that magic is that, that people feel. And so I always want to acknowledge that first. I guess second, though, I would say that I also believe in a curated experience. I also believe in an agenda in putting forward a message. I think people should do this more in their art or their
2: work.
0: I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500 episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. Chris, welcome to the unmistakable creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us.
1: Oh, absolutely! Thanks so much for having me.
0: Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you back here. Uh, It's a bit weird to have to introduce you because it's very unlikely that nobody in our audience has actually heard of you. But on the off chance that they don't know about your work, um, can you give us sort of the quick reader's digest version of who you are and your work and uh, how you have arrived at all these crazy things that you're up to?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And And I'm sure there's lots of people who haven't haven't heard of my stuff. So I'm a writer, traveler, entrepreneur. Um, That's kind of the the three-word elevator pitch. Uh, I've been publishing a blog for about eight years, The Art of Nonconformity, which initially began out of a quest I had to visit every country in the world. Uh, When I was a bit younger, I lived in West Africa for four years as a volunteer, did a lot of traveling then. Uh, love traveling, love goal setting. So I set this you know, project to go to every country in the world, uh, started writing about it. And fortunately, I realized that uh, the project was much deeper than just you know my own little journey. So I did complete that quest uh, a couple years ago by my 35th birthday. Uh, but then you know, I started writing about all these amazing people that I meet all over the world. So published a few books, have a new book out called Born for This. And I feel very fortunate to connect with great, amazing people all over the world.
3: Hmm.
0: All right. So uh, I I want to do something that we didn't get to do the first uh, time that we talked to you. And I I want to talk about uh, the earlier part of your life prior to everything that we kind of know you for and everything you do on the internet, like growing up, childhood, you know, parents, uh, Mm -hmm. significant experiences, because, you know, the things that you've chosen to do with your life, like, I don't imagine that, you know, anybody wakes up one day and says, you know, what I have as a goal is to visit every country in the world. Um, So I'm just curious, you know, what are the kinds of things that happen in your life that would lead you to, to down this trajectory and make these kinds of decisions?
1: Yeah, well, that's a great way to start, because I think people always think that there, there are these big strategic visions, you know, that, you know, like when I was 10 years old, I was like, I want to grow up and be an explorer and go everywhere. And so then I prepared, you know, for the next 15 years and my college and first jobs. And, all, and none of that was the case, of course. Uh, you know, I, I kind of I, I knew I had a, a love for travel. Um, I had a, a mom who was married to a military guy, uh, my stepdad. And so he took took us to a bunch of different places uh, just because of his assignments. So I lived in the Philippines for a while, uh, kind of got comfortable with some cross-cultural stuff. So I had this early kind of travel thing. But I mean, lots of people travel and most people don't necessarily, you know, get this idea to go everywhere. So I think like what I see, if I look back, is like it's a series of a bunch of random stuff, uh, which, you know, eventually kind of work together to create this this focus. That I have now, but even in the focus, like, I think you mentioned it when you asked me for the brief introduction, you said, like, you have a lot of different projects and I have a lot of different projects because I'm not good at doing just one thing. Mm-hmm. I think, I think there's a lot of, of strength in someone who's like, I'm just going to do this one thing and do it well. And I think you can go far with that, but that never really worked for me. So I kind of evolved, you know, along the way, um, you know, different, different things happen that led to something else. And then I was interested in something and I pursued it and maybe that worked out or maybe it didn't, um. But eventually it kind of forges into something greater, but it wasn't a, a grand vision at all.
3: Mm.
0: So, you know, when you when, when you know, we look back at our own lives and we look at all these random things that we've done, I mean, are there ways that you can connect the dots looking back, uh, you know, at your own life experiences and tie them together in such a way that it leads to something uh, that is meaningful to you?
1: Yes, I certainly can, and I, and I think most people can. I, I think most people who are on a journey, whether it's like trying to find the work that they were meant to do, which is kind of my, my current focus in helping people uh, or, or just something else. I can absolutely connect the dots, um, even though it, it you know it seemed random at the time. Mm-hmm. I wasn't good at working for other people. I wasn't a good employee. Um, I was really good at working on something I was motivated for, like I like to work, um, but it was really hard for me to accept you know, someone else's vision or or work towards something that maybe I wasn't excited about. And so that's why I started working for myself. And in the beginning, it wasn't like I want to be this great entrepreneur, you know, I don't think I even thought of the word entrepreneurship at the time. You know, it wasn't like I want to change the world and you know inspire people to think differently or something. It was more like how can I pay the bills? You mm-hmm. know, without reporting to you know someone else's work site. And then like time goes by and I start thinking, okay, what can I what can I build with this? And then later I get maybe a deeper desire and say, okay, well it's it's great that I can make a living for myself or whatever, but that's not really you know that's not really like the next level mm-hmm. of things. So it's kind of like the travel goal. It was great that I was traveling for a while, but what's the next level of that? So it's a series of stages and interlinked, you know, pieces along with many dead ends. But, you know, eventually it kind of kind of built to something.
0: Well, let's talk about the dead ends um, and moments uh, that didn't really work out and what you've learned from those and and how you've applied those going forward.
1: Well, you know, I had lots of little businesses that never worked out. I mean, I had this great idea for a a golf membership site that cost one dollar and I remember I was like building this website and I was thinking, oh, this is the greatest, greatest idea because there's so many golfers out there and, you know, I just need like 1% of them to pay $1 or something. And somebody said to me, like, you know, it's kind of, it's going to be kind of hard to have a business model, you know, where your, your most expensive product is $1. And of course I was like, no, it's going to be great, you know? And of course it wasn't, it was a total flop and did a lot of things kind of like that, that were super random. And I think what saved me was I didn't invest a lot in them. I kind of would spend a little bit of time on these things, a little bit of money, you know, if any money at all. And then if it didn't work, I would just kind of move on to something else. But if I found something that worked a little bit, I would kind of go further in that. And I I saw that not just with business ideas, but, you know, with hobbies, I had a million random hobbies and wanted to do a lot. I I was a musician for a while and I liked playing bass. I was pretty good at playing bass. I was okay at playing keyboard or piano, but I wanted to learn to play like every instrument. So, you know, there's like a drum set in my house. There's like a bunch of guitars and a violin and a saxophone and all this stuff. And obviously I'm not really good at any of these instruments, but I'm just kind of pursuing different stuff and kind of going down different paths. And after I got, you know, tired of that or realized that wasn't going to be, you know, what I did with my life, I would move on to something else.
0: Hmm. Why do you think so many people hit a dead end and then don't do anything else?
1: Yeah, great question. Um maybe they're afraid to quit. Maybe they're like, I've already invested in this, like I've got sunk costs, or maybe the costs aren't financial, but like I've spent some time doing this. And you know, I think most people don't most people fail to to kind of back out of those dead ends and pursue something different not when they're terrible at it but when they're just okay at it Uh you know and I think that's really dangerous and and I actually have ran into that many times in my life like because I am kind of motivated I can work hard like I can be fairly good you know at a, a number of things and probably a lot of the listeners you know are the same way because the listeners are motivated you know for their creativity, motivated to inspire, motivated to improve themselves, all that kind of stuff. So if you're good at a lot of different things, that's when it's kind of hard to back away from the, from the dead ends because it's, it's working out. Okay. It's all right. It's not amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think there's a real skill in being able to say, it's not amazing. Therefore, I'm going to back away from this dead end and try something else.
0: How do you balance that ability to do that with the longevity that's required to uh, achieve mastery at a particular craft?
1: I don't think everybody has to worry about mastery so much, at least for a while. You know, the the mastery comes, you know, when you find something that you truly do love and not, you don't just love it, but you're, you're actually pretty good at it. Um, Whether it's this natural gift or whether it's something that is developed I mean, mastery is kind of like next next level of something, and it, you know, it, it comes for it, it comes when you're already on that path. I don't necessarily think you know you can be on this path for a year or two years or whatever the time period is. I don't know if the time period really matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, then feel like oh, you've got to keep going to achieve mastery or something. You know, I don't. I don't. I think mastery is the goal. If you, if you have something clearly you know, a fix in your mind and you're like, this is who I want to be. Like I, I am a painter, you know, I paint in this style. I want to learn some different art forms, but really like, you know, this kind of painting is what I want. Then you pursue mastery. I guess my, my concern is a lot of people don't know that Mm -hmm. yet. You know, a lot of people are still trying to, to figure, figure it out. And so don't beat yourself up over like failing to pursue the course of mastery. If you're not sure what you're supposed to master.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's a really good point. It's interesting because I think for me, you know, I started out primarily as a writer, and uh, you know, I actually stopped, you know, running a blog because I realized Mm -hmm. that putting all my energy into interviewing people was a much more effective use of my time. Sure,
1: sure, Um, that's great. So you could have just kept going, right? Yeah, it would have been it would have been okay. Yeah, like you would have been all right, but you found something better, more effective, and so it didn't matter. You know what you had done before. In fact, probably what you had done before helps you, you know, in in the interviewing process. Um, but even if it didn't help you, like, you know, it's it's, it's done. You found something better.
0: Yeah, you know, and it took a little bit. I think part of it is letting go of attachments that we have to these things. Um, mm. And you know, I mean, it's like you said, the sunk cost thing can be really, really insidious if we're not careful.
1: <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, well, sunk costs. It's in our nature to protect our sunk costs. You know, it's like you're in the grocery store and you you pick the wrong line to be in with your cart of groceries, and this this new line opens up and it's going to be so much faster, but you're, you're afraid to to leave because you've already waited, you know, 10 minutes. And if you just wait like a few more minutes, you might be at the front of the line, you know, but, but it's very hard to like give up and go and do something else. And I feel like that affects lots of people's decisions in life, whether it's like changing their college major. Oh, you know, I found what I really want to do, but I've already taken these courses. Maybe I should just, you know, see it through or whatever the situation is. Um, and, you know, we have sunk costs or sunk costs. They're gone. You know, you can't, you can't recoup them. Um, you have to always think about the present moment and think about what you're working toward in the future.
0: What are your thoughts on the role that persistence and grit play uh, in these kinds of accomplishments that people dream of achieving throughout their lives?
1: I have a complicated relationship with persistence because it's just like working hard. Like I can be really, really persistent I guess my what I what I now see as a weakness and I, I do think like being able to, you know, be persistent overall is a strength, but I think um, the challenge is you can work really, really hard at the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. And you know, no matter how hard you work, you know, you're you're not going to make the kind of substantial or exponential progress that you need to make if you're not doing the right thing. Right. Yeah. So, I, I mean, my weakness is like I will tackle anything. I'll be like, oh, I'm going to get up at four o'clock in the morning. I'm going to work all day on this. I'm going to, you know, crush this out or whatever. And somebody else might be a little bit smarter and say, okay, but if you made these couple of just a couple of different decisions, you know, about how you're structuring, whatever it is you're trying to achieve, you know, maybe you didn't need to get up at 4am or maybe, you didn't need to accomplish that goal in that way at all. So I think that's the, that's the challenge.
0: All right. Well, I think that makes a perfect setup uh, to, uh, you know, doing a deeper dive into the psychology and mindset that goes into something like a 10 year quest, like mm-hmm. visiting every country in the world. Um, you know, I'm curious uh, one, what enables the mindset for something that significant? Uh, do you think everybody has that capability? You think it's something that can be learned or is something that is inherently built into certain people?
1: Yeah. Okay. Great questions. Lots of lots of things there. Um, I I do think everyone has that capability. I don't know whether it's you know innate or learned. Um, I do think everyone has a capability to identify a a quest or a long term journey or pursuit. It need not be you know a quest to visit every country in the world or something that involves travel or the physical world. Um, I I do think we're kind of drawn to that. I do think it's exciting. Um, I loved just traveling in general, but once I had the the specific goal of like every country in the world, it, it made it so much more exciting. And, you know, I, I got a lot of criticism early on of, of like, well, you're just going to countries to check them off the list. And I would say, well, I, I actually like going to countries. I like, like the part, the part about the travel, but, I, but to be fair, I actually do like the part about checking them off the list. It's actually like, kind of fun to like have this list of, of things and I'm working toward it. And eventually, you know, if all goes well, I'm going to, going to succeed in it. And I thought about sunk costs a lot too, you know, during that, that process, because, you know, it it was not always enjoyable. It was not always amazing, but I guess for me, I still believed in it. I believed in the long-term value of it. Um, And then at a certain point, I think momentum does kind of kick in, Mm -hmm. you know, if you, if like once I had made it to 180 countries, like I wasn't going to stop no matter how I felt, um, you know, to get to the final 13 or whatever, because I knew I would always regret it if I didn't. So I mean, definitely, like having that fixed goal is something that I think is is valuable, both for having the destination and the journey. You know, I think people used to ask me a lot, "Isn't it all about the journey? Isn't it all about the journey? Well, it ultimately is all about the process of whatever it is, but I really do think having an endpoint you know in mind also helps a lot.:
0: Do you ever want to give up during the time? And uh, if so, how did you navigate those periods?
1: I never seriously wanted to give up. I had frustrations, um, but no, I never seriously thought about giving up. Um, Overall, I I enjoyed the long-term aspect of it, um, even if not every part of the short-term aspect was, and many parts of the short-term aspect were enjoyable. Um, So I guess I I thought of it as as worthwhile.
0: So uh, the capacity for these kinds of accomplishments, uh, you know, you said that everybody can learn this. I'm curious, what are the things that people can do in their lives to develop this capacity?
1: Well, experiment. We talked about that a little bit in the yeah. beginning. You know, try different different things. Um, learn broadly. You know, take on different skills. Um, you know, do things that you're a little bit uncomfortable with, um, you know, be clear about your motivations. Um, you know, check in, check in on your feelings, check in, like, how does this make me feel? Like, what do I want at any given time? And it doesn't necessarily mean you're, you're always going to, you know, respond exactly corresponding to what you feel like, because if you're running a marathon, you might not feel that great, you know, at mile 23, but you know, it's something you believe in. You're going to keep going. Um, I do think it's helpful to kind of do those gut checks and, and, um, to always be working towards something, you know, to always be, be challenging yourself. I think it's, it's a, it's a dangerous place to be in when you ask yourself, especially as a creative, you know, as an entrepreneur or an artist, whatever, when you ask yourself, like, how am I being challenged? And you don't have a good answer for that. I think that's, that's kind of a warning sign that maybe you need something different and it doesn't necessarily have to be bigger or better, but maybe you need something different.
0: So this is fresh in my mind because I've been going through uh, Donald Miller's book again, and, and sometimes I'll mm. turn to it, uh, you know, just to, to read in the morning, which is something I do before I write. Mm. And I was thinking a lot about this, especially because I was trying to write something about this this morning about why so many, uh, like, sort of successful people have had these just massive failures or significant <laughs> life events that precede their success, and it seems like an inciting incident is the catalyst for. The really significant accomplishments of almost every mm-hmm. single person I've interviewed with rare mm-hmm. exception okay uh, and I'm, I'm just curious you know what you have to say about that what your own experience has been with that um, you know through the lens of the people that you've come across through your sure, own work sure. um, and through your own experience
1: yeah I mean the inciting incident. You know, is interesting. I think it's probably fair to say that anyone who makes a major change in their life, anybody who achieves something remarkable, or even attempts something remarkable, yeah, I'm sure there's some there's some moments you can point to. But I don't know if it necessarily always has to be this huge moment. You know, maybe it's a, a series of things that kind of you know led up to an inner dissatisfaction and an inner discontent that was then kind of called upon or rallied in a sense of like, okay, you know, like I feel this stirring in my soul, you know, to go and do, do this thing or whatever. And maybe this thing is totally crazy. You know, I talked to a lot of people, like in particular with the last book, The Happiness of Pursuit, which was focused on quests, like talked to a lot of people who, you know, used this very similar language when they began their their project, and they always said, like, I had this crazy idea that wouldn't leave me alone. And so they kind of responded to the crazy idea. And then they're like, maybe it's actually feasible, you know, maybe. And the more they thought about it, the more excited they got. And then they, they did it. But I don't know that everybody has something like truly dramatic necessarily that incites that change. And in some ways, it's perhaps it's more interesting if, if you don't have like this obvious thing to point to, you know, mm-hmm. like I talk to a lot of people who are trying to become self-employed. And they write in like from their cubicle or wherever and say like, oh, I'm not supposed to be reading your website, you know, I'm like I'm on lunch break or whatever, but I'm really trying to like, you know, establish some some kind of freedom business for myself. And the people who are able to do that, like especially people maybe who are married, have kids, have responsibilities, or maybe they're a bit older, like they actually have something to lose. Like they can't just risk everything and like walk away and move to Thailand, become mm-hmm. a location independent blogger or whatever, you know, like the people who those people who are actually able to deliberately make change and then achieve mastery or whatever, go out on their own. That's kind of more interesting in some ways than the person who, you know, was fired from their job and they're dramatic and there's some dramatic scene, and then they all of a sudden they had to they had this imperative, they had to make a living. And so they became an entrepreneur. Like to actually take responsibility and create change without a huge inciting incident, like that to me is almost like inspires more motivation.
3: Hmm.
0: That's interesting. I've never heard it uh, from that perspective before, but it is, it is interesting to look at that way. And, you know, I appreciate the fact that you're willing to point out uh, that these kinds of things like just, you know, quitting your job and being going to Thailand and becoming a location independent blogger is not realistic for everybody because, you know, at times I I can't help but wonder if the internet has perpetuated uh, this sense of like false hope and this mantra of all Mm -hmm. this nonsense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and I've probably been part of it too, you know, know, I always try to, (laughs) I have to to face facts, you know, like I I try to always qualify these things, you know, but, but I mean, there is a dream out there. Like, you know, people are selling the dream in different, different ways. Um, So I think it's important to underline the dream with, you know, disclaimers and practical, I mean, mostly helping people how to do it, but, but sure, you know, there's lots of stories of of people who, uh, you know, who struggle doing that, or maybe they actually are able to do it and and realize it's not that great, or it's not what they really wanted, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, so probably better to help people figure out what it is they really want and and how they can get that.
0: Hmm. Well, let's do this. Let's shift gears a little bit and let's talk about the world domination summit. Uh, what I really specifically want to talk about is the psychology behind how something like that happens. Hmm. Um, because I mean, in so many ways you've created this sort of microculture, um, that happens. And, you know, it's funny. One of my friends was kind of jaw dropped when he walked into to the auditorium. He's like, Oh my God, he almost felt yeah. it was cult-like, uh, uh, which was really funny, funny. And because he wasn't an American. And I remember that comment very distinctly. And I remember thinking the next time we get to talk to Chris Gillebeau, I want that's to ask funny. him about the psychology of creating a movement like that.
1: Okay. Wow. Great question. So we actually are really careful about, um, you know, having it not described as cult-like, yeah. you know, for, for probably obvious reasons. I mean, sure. it's a community. It's it's great, you know, great people. I would say, secondly, like, I'm the first, you know, I'm, I'm the founder of WDS. We have a great team, but all of us are, are the first to recognize that, you know, what makes it a great community is at least 50% composed of the community. It's like the people that come, they are bringing something that creates whatever that magic is that that people feel. And so I always want to acknowledge that first. I guess second though, I would say that I also believe in a curated experience. I also believe in an agenda in putting forward a message. I think people should do this more in their art or their work, not just, not just like, Explore a bunch of topics, but let's actually like put something forward and challenge people, and and you know tell people you know tell people how they can do something right. And so you know it's I knew from the beginning I didn't want to create an unconference mm-hmm. per se, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I guess what I wanted to do is like actually we do want to you know bring people together, encourage a sense of community, um, but we also want to have some pretty clear values you know, of our own that are driving it. And one of them was the no sponsor thing. We don't want corporate sponsors. It's not that I think corporations are evil by default. I just don't want to mess with that. You know, like I want to preserve the integrity of the the branding. I don't want to put other people's logos everywhere. And I want to make sure that the programming, you know, is somewhat consistent. So I guess, I don't know, I I believe in like creating this experience and doing everything we can, but then like it meets, you know, the other 50% of the equation, which is all the great people who come and then hopefully you know, something, something good is created from
0: that. It's mm. interesting. I, I remember running into somebody at the last WDS that I was at and they're like, who's Chris Gillibo? <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That makes me happy. Yeah. Well, I, I, at that point I realized, I was like, wow, you've created something that bigger than yourself. Right. At that that
1: point. makes me really happy. That's, that's definitely the goal, right? To, you know, in the beginning it was like people from the blog and stuff that were coming. And then mm-hmm. like, now it's, it's, it's great that other people are there. It's perfect.
0: So you mentioned four words in particular that got my attention. I want to do a deeper dive into all of these. You mentioned magic, curated, agenda, and message. And I am curious how we start to incorporate those four things into our own work. Find the magic that exists in our our work, curate it accordingly, uh, Mm -hmm. be deliberate about what we do, and find the message that we're meant to share with the world which I realized that's a whole interview in and of itself.
1: Yeah, no, it's good. It's good. So we'll try to consolidate. I think I would flip magic and put it at the end. Okay. So you've got curate, you've got message. What was the other one? Agenda agenda. Okay. So kind of put message and agenda a little bit together and you know what I would suggest to anyone who's listening who, who wants to have a blog, wants to be a writer, wants to put forward some kind of creative project. Um, I mean, definitely think about what you have to say. You know, speaking of the location-independent, you know, blogger who moves to tra- to Thailand. I mean, I, th- I think this has kind of died down a little bit, which is great. But for a while, you know, I used to hear from from so many people who were like, "Hey, like uh, this is the life I want." you know, more or less, I want to like work for myself, travel everywhere, et cetera, et cetera. So my blog or my project, whatever it is, is going to be like the discovery process of, of my life journey to that. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, that's, it's really not that interesting, you know, like it's really not that interesting of just like one person here finding my way. Like you really have to extrapolate beyond that and figure out, okay, like, are you trying to help other people do that? But if you're just trying to figure it out yourself, how is that helpful? You know, there's probably something else that you can can do or teach or share some deeper message. And let's figure out what that is. And let's put out the, the, the agenda, right? The agenda is like consensus is overrated, um, here's, here's what I believe in, come and join me if you agree with this, or you like these values, like we, we need you. So, so I think that's really important message and agenda and curation, I guess, is the expression of that curation is how, like, how do we, sh- how do we share that? What are the strategies? What are the, the mediums? Like, you know, and who are the, the speakers? Who are the voices? Um, how, how are we going to get this message or agenda out to the world? And then magic is the part that's, you can't really control it. Like there's no magic button, unfortunately. I mean, Staples maybe has that, you know, you press the thing, but um, magic is like this element where if you do everything right and you do allow for enough, you know, organic change to influence the process as well, I guess you're always hoping that the magic is going to come in and sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't, but when it does, it makes whatever it is that you are creating so much better that turns that into that community thing or that blog post that goes viral or that thing that really changes people's lives. And so um, I think when people try to harness it or try to direct it or be like, here, I'm going to add a sprinkle of magic, you know, it, it doesn't work so, super great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's something like you have to, like, set everything up as best as you can. But then you, like, you know, lay your offering at the altar of the the gods of whoever decides that stuff. And then, you know, they kind of siphon out who gets the magic and where it goes. I don't know. What do you think about that?
5: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh.
3: They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
4: One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes.
2: Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt.
4: Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. Only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com.
5: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, it's May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news?
0: It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com tapiphone tap iPhone to learn more. Remember, folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. I'm not done yet. I <laughs> that raises more questions, but you, you probably expected that. <laughs> sure, uh, sure. The deeper message... <laughs> Do you think that everybody has that in their lives? Deeper message. Behind their work.
1: Yeah. I think everybody has a compelling reason for it. And that's interesting. And, you know, I think when we say deeper message, again, we have to be careful because, yeah, we can go deeper into figuring out what the root of that is. But deeper doesn't necessarily imply some philosophical truth that has never been shared before. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't have to be like this epiphany right? The Steve Jobs moment on the stage or whatever, however you think of it. Um, But I I think everybody does have, you know, at at the root of their lives, when they really get closer to finding something, you know, that has this convergence between like, they're good at this thing, they love what they're doing, and it's somehow sustainable. um, You know, it's they they found a receptive audience for it, then I think there probably is a deeper message
0: for it. With that being the case, Why do you think we see such a, a varying degree of success with people's expressions of that message? Mm. Well, because I, my I, bet, you know, and I'll, I'll, you know, I wouldn't interrupt you after this, but I'm betting for every person who buys your books out of the hundreds, yeah. one in a mm-hmm. hundred probably does something with it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Probably true. And I, and I would say also, I mean, the example I would say is like, well, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate that, you know, a couple of my books have done well, but I know lots of other authors who've written amazing books, you know, very helpful, great resource, but they haven't, you know, been commercially successful or they haven't gotten in the hands of, of a lot of people or whatever. So, you know, why is that? It's not that, you know, my book is so much better than theirs or whatever. Maybe theirs is better than mine. So I don't, I don't know. I guess, um, I guess maybe that's, you know, somewhat marketing. Maybe it's somewhat the magic, Maybe it's a combination of things. Maybe it's like, how much work are they putting out? And I don't want to necessarily get into like this thing of like, you know, he who puts out the most work wins, because I think that can be dangerous too. Mm -hmm. You know, you could just be putting out, you know, the wrong kind of stuff, like we mentioned. But um, I do think like the more chances that you have at something, you know, the, the better. So I guess generally speaking, you know, instead of like slaving over something for 10 years or whatever, I would rather kind of put the balance on, I'm going to come out with something on a much more frequent basis. And maybe not all of it's going to be a home run, but I'm going to try to, you know, hit some solid things.
0: Mm. So I want to ask you a question that I asked uh, a handful of people uh, that, that I've had here on the show in the last probably five to six months. And this has come up multiple times for me because I'm still not satisfied with the answer I've been given Mm. by anybody. Okay. Okay. Uh, (laughs) So uh, Chris Saki, the venture capitalist, uh, has said time and again in every interview that I've seen him do in the media that when he invests in one of his founders, the one thing that he has seen in all the the ones that have become successful is that they believe that their success is inevitable. Hmm. Uh, They don't speak in conditional statements. Yeah, okay. Uh, And so two questions come from that. Uh, Yeah, yeah. One is... Did you believe your own success was inevitable? Actually, more than mm-hmm. two questions now that I'm okay. asking them. Sure, sure. Um, is the inevitability of success something that can be learned? And <clears throat> I'll remember the other one in a second. That's well, fine. Just-
1: okay. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, okay. I mean, like, I feel like I should like qualify in some way, but I would say, yes, I believed I was going to be successful. I believed it was inevitable that... You know if I pursued this quest, I would be able to see it through. I believed it was feasible. I didn't know what would come of it. I didn't necessarily know all of the outcomes uh, but yes, I guess you know at its at its core, I did believe you know that it was going to be successful. The thing about the founder is and I'll come back to your second question in a second, but the thing about the the founder story, I like that too I think. You know, everybody has to have the confidence—not the delusional confidence, hopefully—but yeah. um, everybody has to have the confidence that they're they're on the right track. It is going to lead to, to you know, something that they they hope to achieve. I mean, the the two points would be like there's probably. You know, CEOs that he has interviewed or looked at that also had that confidence, but he didn't believe in their business model. Mm -hmm. So he didn't fund them. So it's not just like this is the only quality. And, you know, the other thing is like from the outside, we could look at, you know, a whole panel of, of CEOs and just know statistically that a lot of them are not going to be successful. So it's not so much that like everybody has to have this thing, but people in that situation, you know, if they have it, I guess they're, they're more likely to have it. So is it, um, is it something that can be learned? I don't know. I don't know if I have a great answer. And if you've had other people on and haven't been able to give a (laughs) satisfactory answer, I don't know if I could top it because how, how do you teach that? You know, how do you teach someone like really believe in what you're, what you're doing? I think it's more of a discovery process that you know, when you, when you find that thing, you really believe in, maybe you have an innate personality that's kind of leads you to believe in your own success, but then you also believe so much in what you're doing that that also adds to it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I asked the question, not because I'm expecting a concrete answer. In fact, my favorite Uh questions are the ones that don't necessarily have concrete answers uh, just because they lead to such interesting discussions. Actually, this was the third question I realized. So this was based on a conversation I had with a mentor and, uh, He had said... That we are not all created equal, and mm. in our sort of new agey, self-help driven world, we don't acknowledge nearly enough the role that talent and intelligence play in these kinds mm. of accomplishments. Uh-huh. You know, like the Elon Musks and Mark Zuckerbergs of sure. the world. And you know, the thing is, the stories we hear are stories like yours, stories like Tim Ferris, and you know, in a lot of ways, these are outlier stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm just curious about your your thoughts on the role that talent and, te- and intelligence play in the kinds of accomplishments uh, that you know we talk about and celebrate.
1: Sure. Well, talent and intelligence, but also privilege, you know, I would, I would kind of put that there and say, well, you know, I had different opportunities that maybe other people didn't have. And it's not because I was smarter mm-hmm. and it's not because I was, you know, better at something, you know, I, I kind of, I had a difficult childhood. I was a juvenile delinquent for a while, so that was not super intelligent, um, but I was able to kind of like, you know, make my way out of that. And some of that could very well be due to privilege, you know, or to having like upper middle class parents, you know, who cared enough to like come and get me out of jail or whatever. So um, I kind of I kind of go towards that. Like, I think all of these things combined, you know, definitely have some influence on on who we who we become. Mm -hmm. Right. For sure.
0: So you said you were a juvenile delinquent for a while. Um, yeah, <laughs> there's no way I'm going to let you off the hook with just that. I want to hear no, the details. I'd l- I want to yeah, hear about fine. this story. I've, I've heard, you know, like I've heard through the uh-huh. grapevine about some of this, but I wanted that's to funny. get it directly from you. Uh, that's great. The I'd the love to hear about of, it in more detail. The grapevine of delinquency.
1: Well, I mean, the, the thing about being a juvenile delinquent is you can't be it for too long, right? Like yeah. you either like grow up and go to prison, or you kind of reform one way or another. So, um, I mean, where, where to start with that? Yeah, I thought I would be a good criminal at the age of, you know, 13. And um, I I had like a little small shoplifting ring for a while. When I say shoplifting ring, it's like me and my friend and like my friend's sister. And like we would steal things and thought I was really good at it. But then obviously, like the thing with the thing with like long term crime is, you know, you can get you can get away with it 20 times in a row, but then you get caught the 21st time. It only takes once, you know. Mm -hmm. Right. So that didn't work out super great. And then I learned to drive by stealing a car that was at age uh, 14 and also didn't work out super great. Like my friend and I successfully stole the car and drove it around all night. So we thought we were awesome. But then like, you know, as the sun rose or whatever, we like, we're like, what do we do with this car? And so we decided to park it somewhere, but ran into a brick mailbox, you know, somebody called the police, police showed up, you know, I was arrested. I mean, there were more things, there was like a series of kind of, you know, bad choices that happened over. I don't know, three to four years or so. And, and finally, I guess I came to my senses and realized that's probably not the best, you know, career path or life path for me. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like I said, I was like, I, it could have gone another way, you know, it could have gone a different way. And like, maybe I would never have the chance to go to college or whatever, or the chance to, you know, forge those early years of entrepreneurship or, (laughs) you know, all that kind of stuff.
0: What are the lessons in uh, human behavior and, and personal relationships from that time that have actually played a role uh, in the way you've run your business and your life later on? <laughs>
1: yeah, that's funny. Um, I don't really think about those days very often, but they, they were very formative, I'm sure. Um, I guess uh, maybe there was a, an, element of, uh, an element of creativity to it, a, a desire to kind of say, is there more than one way to do this, right? Mm-hmm. And like, if I want... And at the time, like this, this was very like you know, undeveloped thinking at the time. It was like, oh, I want the new Metallica, you know, cassette at the time. Like, I don't want to pay for it. Therefore, I'm going to steal it. So that thinking evolved, you know, and I stopped stealing things. But maybe I continued, you know, throughout college, throughout entrepreneurship, throughout Africa, throughout travel, blogging, et cetera, just always asking, like, is there another way to do this? You know, here's the here's the traditional way. Um, Is there not a shortcut? Is there not a fast track? Do I need to do all these prerequisites, you know, to accomplish this one thing that, you know, supposedly is going to take so much time? So, so for sure, that was part of it. And maybe some confidence too, although that's ironic because I wasn't (laughs) successful, you know, (laughs) I wasn't successful, but um, I guess, uh, I guess like those CEO founders, I believed I would be. Uh Um, Thankfully, nobody invested in me at the time. Um, I don't
0: know. Yeah, I think that the theme that I keep hearing throughout all of your answers is one of resourcefulness. Mm.
1: Yeah, that's good. I like that word. I like resourcefulness. And I guess I always wanted to, you know, try something new. If something failed, I wouldn't necessarily try the same thing again, just like I stopped stealing cars, you know, after the bad experience at age 14. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I guess I would always like try to find another approach or do something different. And I'm still focused on the goal, even if I'm willing to change the strategy, which I think is a wonderful you know, thing that entrepreneurs or artists or anybody else can do.
0: Hmm. So one last question before we start getting into the framework that the book offers. Um, I know, you know, earlier this year, you, or I guess it was last year, you lost your brother. Uh, And, you know, I've had a lot of conversations with people around navigating periods of of extreme grief and how they've pulled out of them. It seems like it's Mm -hmm. almost just kind of part of every hero's journey. Uh, Mm. And, you know, I'd be curious about, you know, kind of what your experience was with it, um, how it's affected your work and how it more importantly has affected your sort of perspective on life.
1: Yeah, Um, I'm, I'm not afraid to answer that question. I just don't know if I really know how to. Um, at this point, because I actually feel like I'm still very much in that. Fair enough. And, uh, you know, it's been, let's see, at the time we're recording this, it's been eight months or so, yeah. but it honestly still feels very fresh to me. And so it is something that has affected, like, everything. And I think the the, the long-term effects are still to come. I feel like, like I am a kind of a slow a slow processor. And what I've learned about grief, you know, thus far is that there are different stages. And by stages, I don't just mean like, you know, the five stages of grief or whatever. I mean, more like seasons. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of settle into different seasons, uh, you know, at, at different times, maybe, maybe depending on how long it's been, maybe for some other factors. So it's not something that I, that I really had a lot of experience with, at least not this kind, um, until, until that happened. So I'm still, still kind of figuring it out.
0: Fair enough. Well, let's do this. Let's, uh, let's shift gears and let's get into the framework uh, of the book and this whole idea that we're born to do certain things and we can find what those things are.
1: Hmm. Yes. Um, so this book, like all my other stuff, kind of comes from, from the community. It comes from conversations I've had with different people. Um, and this one in particular, just the, the notion of finding your dream job or creating your dream job you know, run into a lot of people who say things like, Oh, I'm I'm I love what I do, it's the best job in the world, I would do it for free, but I don't have to. I feel like I've won the career lottery. So I'm thinking that that's really interesting. And what, you know, what do these people have in common? Like, did they always know what they wanted to do? And or was it, you know, more of a nonlinear journey? Did they do a lot of different stuff like I did? Um, and how did they? And, and then how did they come to what they're doing? How do they decide if they wanted to work for themselves or if they wanted to be part of a larger organization or company? Uh, because for years, my message has always very much been focused on entrepreneurship, because that's what I know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I guess you know one thing I learned is that um, there's a lot of people working entrepreneurially uh, within a larger company or an organization because because that's the, that's the kind of work they want to do or because they're a better fit. You know, in that kind of environment or for some other reason. So just trying to unpack the lessons and, you know, the experiences of those people and then present them in a way that's not just, you know, anecdotal or journalistic anthropological, but actually prescriptive and saying, okay, for everybody out there who wants to improve their life or work, everybody out there who's trying to find the work they are meant to do, uh, you know, believes there is something out there for them, whether it's just like the ultimate one path or maybe there's more than one path, but I'm trying to find the best one. Like, how do you actually do that? So that's what the new book's about.
0: So let's get into how you actually do that. Uh, hmm. You know, I know you, you, one of the things that said on the back of the book was, you know, finding sort of this intersection of joy, money, and flow. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about those three things in more detail.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, I think I touched on them you know, briefly without naming them that earlier in the conversation. And uh, I think what I found through a lot of different research is, you know, pe- people are different. We all want different things. Uh, we all want to pursue different kinds of work. We have different working conditions, uh, which are really important to pay attention to. A lot of people always think about their career just as this like one-word thing. I want to be a designer. I want to be an engineer. I want to be a teacher. Uh, but there are many different ways to to do all three of those careers. I mean, there's lots of different kind of forms and fashions of them. And that's where working conditions is so important to focus on. Mm-hmm. But Joy, Money & Flow is essentially something that I think everybody wants. And I think everyone wants to do something that they love or at least that they enjoy. That's where joy comes in. You want to take pride in your work. You want to be you know, eager to get to it in the morning or whenever it is you get to it. Uh, and money is that sustainable piece. Like, I, I'm not really writing about hobbies. I'm writing about careers. And so if there's something you love to do that doesn't make money, that's fine. But that's not your, your work or at least your income-producing work. Uh, and then flow is, is essentially developed skill, or that point of, of which we can lose ourselves in our work, uh, you know, and hours go by because we were really good at it. And maybe it's something that we're good at that other people are not good at, it comes naturally to us. And so the intersection of all three of those things, that convergence point, joy, money and flow, uh, is essentially the goal. And I think that's so you ask how people find that. I think you you begin by making decisions. Whenever you come ac- come across a career decision you have to make, whether big or small, you ask yourself about these points: joy, money, and flow. You know, does it meet all three of these things? If I'm deciding between two things, you know, which is the closer fit? And I think in different times in our life, we may have to make compromises, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Like you might work a job that you don't you don't necessarily love for a while because it pays well. It provides for something else. That's totally fine. But if we're talking about the goal. Of, like, you know, if you could do anything, if you could win that career lottery, then it is something that has all three of those things, I think.
0: So, given my personal experience, a question that raises for me is why in our lives do we often miss or overlook those points of intersection when they happen?
1: Well, I don't think anyone teaches us to be aware of them. Yeah. You know, and then I also think it's part of like the thing about you can look back on the best moments of your life, but you don't always necessarily know, you know, during the time. So, but if we, so we can't do anything about the second thing, but maybe we can do something about the first thing about just, you know, beginning to have more awareness of that being to have more, you know, checking in again with checking in with our feelings um, and then combining the feelings check with a more objective research-based check, you know, where we're kind of like, okay, like, You know, am I really good at this thing? You know, is it, does it produce the kind of income that I would like, et cetera? And putting those things together, I think is really important.
0: You mentioned that nobody teaches uh, us these things. (laughs) Given that you you go down to grad school have a master's degree, I mean, what is your perspective on education uh, from the vantage point uh, that you have now?
1: Yeah, my perspective on education. Um, I think it's. I think fortunately, education is is changing and has changed in some ways, and at least in terms of a, a recognition that there's that there is more than one path. It's kind of like working for yourself in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I've worked for myself my entire adult life. I'm 37 now. You know, when I was in my early 20s, it, it was kind of a weird thing. I mean, there are plenty of other people, you know, doing business online at the time, even then, but I didn't really know any of them like they were kind of like scattered everywhere and like parents didn't really understand what I did for a living but now i think people are coming up and it's um and it's it's much more common you know to to work for yourself and uh, i think that uh, that relates to that other thing it's just it, now with education it's much more common to pursue a different path and have that be totally okay. I don't regret any of the education I had. I think it was very helpful in maybe teaching me to write well, Mm -hmm. maybe teaching me to formulate arguments, uh, maybe teaching me some social skills that I didn't get during the juvenile delinquent years. Um, But it clearly didn't really prepare me, you know, for a specific career track, uh, at least not, not in line with the investment that I made in it.
0: Mm -hmm. When the visiting every country in the world thing was done, uh, Do you feel any sense of like emptiness or the sense that something was missing in your life because this thing that has driven your life for so long is suddenly over?
1: Absolutely, completely.
0: And how did you cope with it?
1: Well, that that does probably have like a five stages of grief thing. I mean, that probably is like linear because you're like, well, got to accept it somehow. Um, Yeah, it it was hard, and and I saw that with everybody else that I studied in the book about quests. I mean, everyone talked about this of like you come to this end and you've been looking forward to it for so long, but now like, what are you going to do? Because for years, you know, you've been that person who's pursuing this goal, and that's a big part of your identity. You can have lots of other identities as well. You could be a spouse. You could be a parent. You know, you could be, uh, you know, whatever your career is, all that stuff. But, you know, alongside those things has been, I'm so-and-so and and this is what I'm doing. So as to how you cope with it, I think eventually, you know, eventually you reflect, you process, you try to appreciate the lessons, but then you have to move on to something else. Yeah. Because if if you just live in that same thing. I think that just gets depressing, you know, like nobody wants to be around the guy who's talking about what he did back in high school, mm-hmm. you know, or when he played football or something like we all know people that 20 years later or 30 years later or however many years, they're still kind of reliving these glory days. And I don't, I don't think that's healthy. I think what's healthy is is continuing to challenge ourselves.
0: Do you have any uh new quest that you've decided on. And then, and, 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 you know, after such a sort of massive gargantuan quest, I mean, does it feel like anything else sort of pales in comparison when you think about it?
1: Well, that was the problem, you know. It was like, how do I top that, you know? Yeah. And um, I guess, I guess, also, I I didn't want to top it in the same way, or or start something new that was the same kind of thing. Uh-huh. Like, I wasn't going to go back to every country in reverse order. I wasn't going <laughs> to go to the moon, or I mean, people people suggested that, you know, like on my book tour, people were like, why don't why don't you do that? And I was like, well, you can do that. Like, that would be great for somebody else. Uh, no, I wanted to. I I think the next quest essentially. You know, it's a little bit more difficult to define um, and a little bit more deeper. It's essentially more, you know, more about investing in community and more about like truly, you know, developing this idea of how do we live a remarkable life in a conventional world and how can we see that scale, not scale in the sense of a traditional startup, but how can we you know, equip more people to do that. I don't think I've found the matrix for that yet. I don't think I found like, here's how I know that will be, be a success, which really is important in a quest. Uh-huh. But, um, I, I think then the focus, you know, for me now is not on so much like a physical accomplishment or achievement, but, you know, kind of delving deeper into the, the whole purpose of all this stuff, which is what you do so well on this podcast.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I, uh, I appreciate that. Wow. Um, so in terms of WDS, what's next? I know you've scaled it back, uh, made it smaller from what mm-hmm. I remember. Uh,
1: yeah, this year, um, well, we're doing two things. It's a twofold approach. And, you know, sometimes twofold approaches work really well. And sometimes you should just focus on one thing. So so we'll find out. But the twofold approach is the, the kind of the main immersive component of you know, main stage WDS. The weekend experience um, is scaling back to 1,000 people. And uh, we want to provide an even more immersive experience for those Um, 1,000. I've been very happy that the event has grown in recent years, um, but I also am empathetic to the concern that like, oh, maybe it's like, you know, I get lost in the crowd. I don't want anyone to feel lost in the crowd. We, We have lots of introverts. I'm an introvert. We have lots of highly sensitive people. Uh, we have lots of people who don't necessarily go to, like, a lot of business conferences or other traditional conferences. I want to make sure we're really, like, you know, meeting their their needs in that regard. So, that's why we're doing the main stage thing. But then, um, at the same time, we are growing, like, everything that surrounds that. So... Um, there's going to be lots more stuff that happens during the week. Um, it's kind of moving to a whole week long focus for us. Uh, so some people will participate in the whole week and some people participate just in the, that immersive weekend. Um, and some people will just come to some supplemental things um, that we do during the week. So the new the new experience is going to be called WDS Connect, mm-hmm. and that's for um, all the people who don't have main stage tickets but do want to be part of the community. So they can still, you know, go to meetups. Um, they can organize meetups. Uh, there's going to be some art exhibits, a bunch of other stuff, you know, essentially, you know, that will allow us to serve a larger population for the whole experience, but then a more select population for the, the weekend. Wow. So we'll see how it goes. I mean, like, this is our first year doing it, so you'll have to let me know or... Any of the listeners who who show up, be sure to let me know.
0: Well, um, this has been really, really awesome. Uh, So I have one last question, which is how we finish all our interviews uh, at The Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable?
1: The willingness to find whatever that thing is for them. Then And, you know, I'm talking about the book a lot these days, so I keep using this phrase, you know, the thing that they were born to do. And if, if you know, readers or listeners don't like that phrase, no problem. Just think of this thing. There's this thing out there. There's something out there that you have to find. And maybe it's a missional thing. Maybe it's a calling. Maybe it's a life quest. Maybe it's a, it's a business. Maybe it's an artistic expression. Maybe it's something that I haven't mentioned at all. But there is this thing out there. And, you know, to, to be unmistakable... You, you keep forging your way toward it, and you don't necessarily even know what it is in the beginning, just like I certainly didn't know like, where I was going with my life or whatever um, back when I was stealing cars or even when I was an adult, right? Um, but you keep working toward it, and you do back out of those dead ends that we talked about, and you do find another way forward. You try, try again, but you don't try the same thing necessarily. Um, you're unmistakable because you keep working toward that, and you do everything that you can to find it. Mm.
0: Well, uh, Chris, this has been phenomenal. And uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us and and share your story and, uh, you know, subject yourself to my crazy questions.
1: (laughs) This is great. This is such so fun. It's so much better than like, you know, tell us how you started your blog. So thank you for the, the wonderful questions and hope to hear from some of the listeners sometime.
0: Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared.
5: Hold up.